Welcome to the Tree of Life podcast. My name is Joel Ledford, and I have the privilege today of being with Dr. Mitchell Singer. Uh, Mitch Singer, welcome. Thank you. This is great. So uh, one of the first things that we do in these interviews is we ask you about your background in science. And so I'm really interested to know how you, did you end up at UC Davis? What was the path? What got you interested in science? So I have to say what, what really got me interested in science was being a complete and utter science nerd in high school. You know, science club, all that. My father was a microbiologist, so he got me really early on looking at microbes. I remember going to his lab as a little kid and getting all excited. So I have to say, he's the real reason I went into microbiology. I then went to the University of Illinois and worked with Sam Kaplan on photosynthetic bacteria, which was like my dream come true because my science project in high schools were about photosynthetic bacteria. So working with Sam Kaplan was literally like working with your, your a rock star as far as I was concerned. So I was so psyched. Wow. Really nerdy, I know. Then um, I went to um, Madison, Wisconsin to get my PhD in bacteriology. And um, the one advice <laughs> Sam Kaplan told me was, there's a lot of interesting microbes. Don't work on E. coli. <laughs> what did I work on? E. coli. Okay, so I worked for Carol Gross, and we worked on, I was trained as a classical geneticist, um, molecular biologist. Um, I learned so much. She was an amazing mentor. Um, and from there, I went to Stanford University to work with Dale Kaiser on mixobacteria. So E. coli is a phenomenal organism to learn to learn on, but it doesn't do a whole lot. I mean, now there's all, all the work on pathogenesis it does, but for the most part, it's really limited in what it can do. And I wanted to take those skills and apply it to something novel in the microbial world. And that was mixobacteria, because here are single-celled microbes that undergo a developmental program and form these multicellular fruiting bodies. They differentiate, and up until 1898, they were actually classified as eukaryotes. They, they, because what you saw were the fruiting bodies, and people thought that those fruiting bodies were actually part of the cellular slime molds. And if you look at them, they're about the same size, they look like cellular slime mold fruiting bodies. It wasn't until Roland Thax, Thaxer, Thax, Thax, Thaxer, something, Roland, <laughs> um, who, was, uh, who was at Harvard, um, he ran the herbarium at Harvard, um, germinated some of these things and realized, wait a minute, those things that are coming out of those fruiting bodies, they're not eukaryotic cells, they're bacterial cells. And so that was actually how the mix of bacteria went from being classified as cellular slime molds into really realizing they were actually bacteria. Wow, that's, I, so now I have a totally new vision of, of young Mitch Singer <laughs> under the tutelage of his dad. He, pr he probably got a microscope or something. When oh, you yeah. Look at, oh. Such a nerd. It that's was so great, great. That's a great, that's that, a, that's a great, that's a great, um, that's a great vision for me to have. Yeah. So that was, that was how I got, now I, when I went to college, I actually wanted to be a vet. I took one mm. animal science course, thought it was the worst thing in the world. We spent two weeks on dog food labels and completely turned me off. And then I went and washed dishes in um, Sam Kaplan's lab. Hmm. And I eventually asked to work on a project. And he took me because I was the only one who didn't want to work on the hot molecular biology stuff. I wanted to work on lipids. So I, got, I did my undergraduate project on fat and did all kinds of things you are not supposed to do. <laughs> Mouse 
mouth pipe headed chloroform, only passed oh, out once. Wow. <laughs> um, spent my Saturday my Saturday and Friday nights cleaning up P thirty two spills from you know so you know I did ran the gambit. Do you Can, do you do you glow in the dark? I well I, I have two children. Luckily, I was okay. The, the, the worst that ever happened was I had a, um, <clears throat> a, a P32 spell, and I had to disrobe in lab and walk around in lab stark naked except for a lab jacket until the postdoc I was working for could go to my apartment and get me a pair of clothes, which oh, took him an awfully long time considering I was only about three blocks away. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that was a little fun. So, um, so bringing this back, um, I just wanted to sort of ask you some questions about multicellularity since you work on, um, or had worked on stigmatella. And that's one of these examples that when I think of, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of um, biologists have of this perception that only eukaryotes are multicellular. And so maybe we could start like really simply and just have you give us a definition of what you think multicellularity is or means. Yeah. So in, in the bacterial world at least, we view multicellularity <clears throat> as a process where multiple cell states can arise from a single cell state. Um, and those that this dual, at least dual um, role can occur, occur simultaneously by some mechanism, either stochastic or, or, or not. And so um, you can look at a variety of, of bacteria and ask whether or not they, they form sort of the classic views of, of, of development. And we can start with the mixobacteria because th what happens is the mixobacteria under vegetative conditions that's normally growing, they look like any other bacterial colony, but when starved, they do some incredible things that are relatively unique to that grouping. Um, they have a series of behavioral patterns that you can see. They aggregate together to form these mounds. These mounds will then differentiate and into spores. And not all cells make it. Some cells clearly have different pathways. Some cells die. It's and there's an there is an auto mechanism for self destruction. Um, you can we we tend we we. we we used to call it, you know, bacterial, um, 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 okay, wait, my brain's been turned off. Cell death in, in eukaryotes is called apoptosis. apoptosis. Cellular apoptosis, but it's not apoptosis because that's a very specific mechanism with, with P458 or whatever okay. going on. But there is a series of self-programmed program, cell death that does occur. There are toxins that can be shown that are induced that kill the cell. It's believed that the cells then are cannibalized by those cells that are undergoing the rest of the developmental progress. So the, the, the colony survives genetically, even though individual members are killed um, in, the, in the process. The ratios of those cells that turn into spores can vary depending on how you starve the cells. And the end product is not a single cell type, but multiple cell types. We have these things mm. called spores that are metabolically dormant. They can be dormant for hundreds of years. Um, the spores that um, Thaxer um, looked at were, were fruiting bodies that he found in you know, the woods. They weren't the cells um, uh, of, the, of the vegetative state. And there's another form called peripheral rod cells, which are a form of cells that um, are not spores, but surround the, the fruiting body and are believed to potentially be a short term to, to starvation. Hmm. And we've shown in my lab using um, RNA-seq analysis that 
um, peripheral rods are a unique cell type compared to say vegetative cells, starvation, um, stationary phase cells, and, and spores because they have a very distinct um, um, transcriptome, i.e. proteome, than other cells. And that's really interesting. So it's really a, a truly different cell type. So, so if, I, if I were to restate this to you, so when, when I am teaching multicellularity, one of the things that I say is that a multicellular organism is one in which some cells in the, the body, whatever the body actually is defined as, um, give up the ability to do reproduction. But your, your definition is actually a little bit more precise in that you're saying that you have cells in the body, whatever that body is, um, having multiple potential developmental pathways and or outcomes. Right. Is that and, fair? And, and then functions, right? And so functions. spores are long-term. And then, of course, we don't necessarily consider an outcome cell death, but that's a real function for the propagation of the species because the cells are dying. And you don't get any more terminal than dead. Right. <laughs> so, so you know, so three I, cell fates. Right. Right. So, I, one of the one of the um, bigger questions I always think of is that, given that multicellularity in general has evolved multiple times independently, what do you what would you think are the big advantages to multicellularity and just in general? So that's that's a really cool question because it's it's true multicellular arose many times and it's arose in several times in the bacterial world as well and based on the eukaryotic definition probably the best example of multicellular development in the in the bacterial world is filamentous cyanobacteria hmm. because in that case cells become terminally differentiated called um, um, heterocysts where their only function is to make nitrogen right to to absorb atmospheric nitrogen, stick it into an organic compound to make glutamine. That's their role. And the rest of the cells feed them, right? They feed them carbon. They provide the nitrogen. And that's the, actually the closest thing of a truly eukaryotic version, right? And you can see this. You see the filamentous. You see these spatially port-placed heterocysts. Um, and I strongly suggest that you ask Professor Meeks, Jack, okay. to come to talk to this because he'll talk for hours. And, and, and cyanobacteria are really cool because without cyanobacteria, we would not be here. Right. You know, every I tell my BIS-2A students every time they walk by a puddle and see green slime, they should get on their hands and knees and thank that green slime, cyanobacteria, for producing the oxygen that allowed for the expansion of the eukaryotic world and multicellularity. And it's interesting, in the bacterial world, those that are mostly associated with multicellularity are those that are aerobic. Hmm. And so... This is something a newer, newer project I'm working on in my lab, and that is what is the evolution of development in the myxobacteria. So if you look phylogenetically, myxobacteria are delta proteobacteria, and if you look at who are their closest relatives, who else are deltas, they are things like anaerob um, they are things like geobacter and delavibrio and desulfovibrio. They are anaerobes, mm -hmm. obligate anaerobes with small genomes. The myxobacteria are basically aerobes with large genomes. In other words, when, ox when they figured out how to use oxygen as a terminal electron acceptor, it opened up this incredible world. And all of these extra things in these large genomes aren't deltas, right? Mm. They come from other places. So they were very smart 
evolutionarily speaking, in terms of hijacking and absorbing other genes that they could then exploit. So they rapidly grew out of this delta, this anaerobic plant, and you can still see remnants of that. You can find mixobacteria that are taxonomically mixobacteria based on 16S that are obligate anaerobes, anaerobic mixobacteria. They don't develop, they have small genomes, and you know, there's nothing too special about them except they're really unique mixobacteria. Mm. Then you can find mixobacteria that have, that are, um, have, are aerobes and have small genomes. Mm. And then you find the aerobes with the huge genomes as almost as if there's, you know, the stepping stones to become most mixobacteria are the larger genomes. They have some of the largest genomes in the microbial world, up to 15 megabases, hmm. which is bigger than haploid yeast, hmm. okay? Um, they, and where did they get these things? You know, they did not reinvent cytochrome oxidase. They got it from somebody, right. and they tend to have gotten it from cyanobacteria. That mm -hmm. seems to be the big play. And a few, uh, and some components from other proteobacteria. Um, like um, some of the alphas and gammas. Right. So they clearly stole things. You know, there's a lot of hanky-panky that goes on cross-species right. in the bacterial world. And they took advantage of that. And then they exploited that and became these multicellular issues. And the other thing, so, so why make spores? So mixobacteria, when we think of spores, we think of like mushrooms, right? Mm -hmm. That tend to want to have, or trees with seeds. They want to spread that stuff out. In mixobacteria, mixobacteria have to compete with other soil bacteria, like pseudomonads and mm. bacillus, who have doubling times of like, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. They can't compete. However, a colony of mixo can compete because they tend to prey on other bacteria. They, they digest macromolecules and the best source of macromolecules are other bacteria. And so I've, and, and that's interesting you bring that up because I've, I, if I am recalling correctly, I remember sort of this idea that maybe stigmatella um, functions almost like there's a group behavior. The, the or wolf group pack. Dynamic, the, the wolf pack, yeah. they, The mixobacteria in general have been talked about as being wolf pack um, prey, uh, not prey, predators. And they will actually swarm around prey and, and, and devour them. They, they secrete digestive enzymes that basically weaken their prey, and then they, go, then they have toxins and interactions where they ru literally rub up against the prey, and they are degraded. And you can see beautiful movies that Hans Reichenbach made back in the 60s of mixobacteria um, eating serratia, E. coli, and one of the nice things about working on mixobacteria is be because they, they tend, they, they, it's very, it can be difficult to keep them nice and fresh when you grow them on a on a in a solution because you know they don't they they, they don't do well right if you have a bacteria that can double every 30 minutes and they're doubling every 6 hours the population gets overrun mm. um, but if you that if you have a plate and it's contaminated just just wait a while and the mixo start coming up and they eat you can see them eating um, other bacteria and they and it's it's kind of it's kind of cool and we study this predation um, behavior um, in a variety of ways in, in, in my lab and um, in collaboration with others. So, so then, so if I would summarize then, um, advantages of multicellularity would be obviously some increased reproductive capacity. Right. Um, maybe right. Some, some, some of these more um, 
complex behaviors? I don't yes. know if you would, so, if you would so define abs- that as Absolutely. A so I forgot to finish my story. But what Mixo does is Mixo doesn't make spores. So single spores can be blown away and start a colony because a single spore has a very hard time competing. What Mixo does is it makes spores. It also makes slime that sticks those spores together. And you now have a ready-made colony. So the whole spore packet is kept together. And you have an instant microcolony when germination happens. So you don't have single spores making a population to be spread out. You have microcolony spreading. So in a sense, the sporulation process isn't a dispersal mechanism so much as a retention mechanism of the colony. Mm -hmm. So now you have 10 to the 6 cells all stuck together so that when you develop, or when you germinate, I should say, you have that microcolony there. And again, there's these beautiful movies of Hans Reichenbach with those little packets, especially you see in Stigmatella with those packets that right, come out. There's right. about 10 to the fifth cells in each of those packets. Those packets germinate, and you can see all these cells swarming out of that single packet. You've got your microcolony. Now, your microcolony can now compete because it can secrete digestive enzymes, and Bacillus doesn't have a chance. So I guess the last thing I would um, ask is, so for if I understand correctly, you no know, Stigmatella spends the majority of his life as you know unicellular bacteria yeah. cruising around and then then they aggregate and so well, they is don't, it fair to so is that's it, not really true okay. so they don't spend their time as single cells oh, okay they okay. i mean they yes yeah, single cells but in a colony but they're colony. very colonial so an in, individual cells we think of bacteria as being like loners mm-hmm. right out by themselves doing what they do but the mix of bacteria stay together in fact you can measure their growth rate and their growth rate increases with the with the number of cells in the mm. in the colony okay and what that means is the more cells there are the more digestive enzymes that can get out there the more prey can be killed and the more compounds that they can suck up so there must be um, lots of mechanisms for cell to cell communication there is there's enormous mechanisms cell to cell communication there's a lot of cell cell interaction they have coordinated cell cell movement so the mixobacteria have two types of movement they have um, individual movement um, called adventurous motility or amotility, and they have group motility called S motility for social motility. And both are actually required for the survival of the colony. So you have these single cells that kind of go out to test the environment and they come back in, and then these rafts of cells that go out to, to move the colony out in a specific direction towards the prey. So they behave, their behaviors are fascinating. I mean, it you know, if you look at it, it's almost like there's some form, you know, don't, I'm going to get in so much trouble if I say, like, intelligence in that colony. Mm. I mean, it's not. It's all chemical interactions, right, that are driving these behaviors. But if you look at it, it's really cool. Wow, that's, <laughs> it's like a whole, a whole other world. Well, um, thank you very much for um, coming on the show today. And uh, definitely look forward to future discoveries from your lab and um, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. Anytime, anytime.